Imagine, a podcast series by Imagine Theatre. Hello again, I'm Martin Ballard and would you believe this is episode 19 with a month to go until Christmas Day and Imagine Theatre gets ready to open 16 shows for the 2021 Panto season. For more information, go to their website at www.imaginetheatre.co.uk. Before we begin, a reminder that so far we've met directors and dames, dancers and designers as well as the stars of Imagine Theatre shows. But don't worry if you've missed any of the previous episodes because they are still available. Just make sure you subscribe to the series though because there are many, many more to come. Now in episode 18 I was joined by the singer, actor, dancer and choreographer Jenny Phillips. In this episode it's the turn of Kilmarnock's favourite dame, the actor, writer and teacher Fraser Boyle. How are you Fraser? I'm very well, thank you so much for having me on Martin. <laughs> We've had, as, as I'm sure you know, a number of Scottish actors and performers. There's such a wealth of talent north of the border, isn't there? Yes, absolutely. I've actually listened to all the other podcasts. So yes, it's good to hear uh, the Scottish voices in. Now, of course, you're from Glasgow and you're a graduate of the Royal Conservatoire of Scotland. But where did the performer Fraser Boyle come from? Where were those early influences as a child from? Well, uh, you know, that's an interesting question for me. I, I think I suppose it... Uh, starts from my family. My granny has, I think it's 26 grandchildren. And I couldn't tell you how many great grandchildren she has. Like, (laughs) I've lost count. (laughs) And one of the things that she always did for us at Christmas, our Christmas present was to go and see Pantomime. And so we'd all go, a big squad of us, and we'd go see the Pantomime at Kirkcaldy. And they'd always do the shout out. They'd always say, hey, Granny Brown and her bairns. And we'd go, wah! We'd go absolutely mad. So, yeah, that was probably one of the biggest things. Uh, that It was going to see pantomime with my granny and all my uh, cousins that made me say, that's what I want to do when I'm older. And doing shows with your family as, as a kid or even for your family, entertaining maybe family at home, is one thing. But when did you discover you had a talent? Was that at school? Yeah, I think I was always the class clown. I was always in my um, <laughs> in my report card. I got the easily distracted and distracts other box ticked. Um, I was always having a carry on, and I think it comes from my family. We always like to we're joke tellers. We love to spin a yarn, and you know never let the truth get in the way of a good story. So I think I learned these kind of skills from my uh, family. You know, the, you know, telling jokes and having a laugh. I think the first time I ever really realised we were putting on an amateur show actually my dad had written it and it was like a 20 minute pantomime my first ever line I was six years old it was R it be under your hat Jim lad it was a sort of 20 minute treasure island and I just loved it I loved being on stage and I just loved having that attention (laughs) as you developed at school was drama something that you pursued yes so what happened was at my school they didn't offer I, I studied at Ochmuty High School which is a good mouthful for anyone south of the border <laughs> Ochmuty High School in Clinrothes I studied there but they didn't have drama at that department so I had to go every Sunday to the Rothes Hall Shoe Theatre and I actually got some Scott Vic they were called at the time qualifications into role play and creating drama and I joined the Rothes Hall Shoe Theatre as well so that's how I studied drama in high school when I left high school, I actually went to Dundee University and studied history and politics. <laughs> what a waste of time. And then I went back and did my HNC 
in drama at Lauder College and then I went to the RSAMD and uh, I got great training at the RSAMD. I really enjoyed my time there. It was second to none. So at some point, it must have crossed your mind, this could be a career. When did that come? It came before I went back and trained. I was about 22 years old and I just wasn't happy. You know, I thought, I don't want to do an office job. It never was who I was. You know, I was always having a carry on. I was always trying to be centre of attention in some way or the other. So... I went back, that was when I decided, no, I really have to try and do this for myself. And I went back and auditioned to get into the RSAMD and got in, luckily, <laughs> on my first attempt. And I feel really, really lucky in a way. In some ways, I think someone was looking out for me because, you know, especially with COVID and things like that, it's been difficult. And you think, what oh, what else can I do? And you think, there's really nothing else that I can do or feel capable of doing. <laughs> so it's kind of in me, if that makes any sense. I feel like I can't really do anything else. <laughs> now, once you finished the BA in acting and you, you went out into the real world, as it were, you pretty much got work straight away, I think, didn't you? I did, yes. I did a few um, adverts and I got a few bit pieces and I did a Bollywood movie. That was great fun. Um, in 2011, that was in the budget they had was unbelievable. They were filming a, a part of it in Edinburgh, and oh, it was fantastic. I, w- I got the part of an RAF squadron leader, which I laugh at because I don't look like an RAF squadron leader. <laughs> <laughs> but it was great fun. Um, they had so much money they must have put into this. The usher, they they hired out the whole usher hall to just film one scene. I mean, to hire out the whole usher hall is insane. Um, and I, I remember we, we had all the outfits, the proper military outfit, and we were in the grass market filming and someone from the actual RAF was walking up the grass market in Edinburgh and spied us and he saluted us <laughs> and we had to say, stop, stop, we're actors, <laughs> I'm not a squadron leader, don't, don't salute me. <laughs> but that was great. Um, yeah, uh, however, pantomime, I would say with a big asterisk, if it wasn't for pantomime, I don't think I would have a career anymore. I think I would have given it up a long time ago. Pantomime has been my staple and it has been something that as as time has gone on, I've done more and more of and I've begun to write it. It's something that I just feel I love. I love panto and I want to do more and more and more of it as I get older. So was that something that, that pretty much happened as soon as you graduated? Did you, did you get panto straight away as well? Well, no, actually. I, I Actually, at the RSAMD, they put on, the final year always puts on a pantomime. And in my year, they put on Mother Goose. And bizarrely, I didn't actually audition for the dame. I auditioned for the batty, <laughs> strangely. However, they knew me better than I knew myself because I never got the part of the batty. I got the part of Mother Goose, the dame. And we put it on, I think it was a week and a half or two weeks, I can't remember. And I just loved it. I absolutely, it was like a duck to water. It wasn't like acting. It was just like having the time of my life. I loved it. So I did that and I never got a dame straight away. It was actually understudy for another Scottish dame, Johnny McKnight, who, yes, he's brilliant. And he is at McRoberts Centre. So I understudied there for him for two years in a row. And I watched every single show. I never missed a single show. I went in and watched the auditorium and watched every single show. 
to me, he was just brilliant. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. He he had written the panto and he was the dame. And it was exactly what I wanted to be when I was that age. I was like, oh, I just want to be him, you know? <laughs> well, it's interesting because, you know, speaking with other dames on the podcast and knowing from my own experience, everybody is influenced by different people, aren't they? Oh, I mean, yeah. you've, done, you've done so many other things, which we'll talk about in a moment. But it's interesting to talk about your dame for a moment because I wonder if your dame now is very different to that first dame that you played. Has it developed in a different way? Yes, I think primarily she's older. <laughs> <laughs> We're all older. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, I think I have a tendency now to do less. I think when I was younger, I was an eager beaver and really keen. But I think I have a tendency to do less now. I think you don't need to do quite so much as you originally think you do. And saying that, I worked really hard <laughs> when I'm on this stage. Yeah. But... In terms of her personality, no, every time I play the dame, it's kind of an extension of myself. It's not really like I'm acting. It feels like I'm getting these great lines to play around with and I just go on stage and it's an extension of myself. There's nothing kind of put on about me. It doesn't feel like acting, if that makes sense. I think most dames would say you've got to have something of yourself in there to an extreme, maybe the sort of things that you'd love to be able to get away with in public life yourself that you can't, you can do when you've got a frock on in front of an audience, but also those influences are always there. So were there any particular dames apart from Johnny that influenced you? Oh yes, so many. I mean, you've got Stanley Baxter, Les Dawson. Now I never ever saw Les Dawson, but I've read his book and I've seen all his sissy and Ada stuff. They've got it all on YouTube now. That has me howling with laughter. I think that is just classic British dame uh, Liz Dawson who else do I think's great there's so many of it it's so difficult to, to narrow it down part of, of my dame probably comes from my mother and my granny as well and I also kind of think an influence of my dame is uh, Mrs Bouquet from uh, Keeping Up Appearances Patricia Routledge yeah. She has a big influence as well. I really like that character, and there's elements of her that I, I like to put in it as well. The sort of pretentiousness that I really like. It has to be a, a caricature, doesn't it, of <laughs> somebody that everybody can relate to. The warm, gossipy, but <laughs> but full of life and vitality and everybody's friend. Definitely, that is what you do. You have to, when you go on the stage, you have to love the audience. You have to, that was one of the, the lessons that I was taught, actually by one of a director, Alistair, who did it, who had directed us at the RSAMD when we did Mother Goose. He said, really love the audience as though they are your family, as though they are your children. And I've, I've always taken that with me. You really have to be able to look the audience in the eye and smile at them with love. It's so disarming to them because they don't, they don't expect that kind of thing. You know, and they kind of, you see them melt when you come out and you just love them. Uh, I think you do. It has to be something that everyone feels a safe pair of hands as well. I think that's what I have to do with the dame. But obviously, it has to be this, as you say, this caricature that everyone recognises. And all my life, older ladies, of, I'll say ladies of a certain age, I've always enjoyed their company. <laughs> I've always loved being around my granny and my nana. I've always loved being around ladies of a certain age always seem to have a good carry on in a conversation and I think these friendships that I've developed in my life also influence it. Now I mentioned the other things that you, you've done and we, we talked about Bollywood but you've done a fair amount of film and television and radio work as well and they're, they're all completely different disciplines aren't they to Panto in particular? Yes, I mean, I've not done a huge amount of television. I've done some adverts and things like that and a couple of bit parts. But yeah, it's the discipline is 
quite, quite different. I remember the first thing I ever did, it was like, take that down, please. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're, you're, you're shouting out to the, to the back row and there's no back row. So yeah, they are really uh, different disciplines. I don't think that I've done as much TV as I would I would like to, but I think that's because I'm enjoying doing theatre so much and that's what I'm really focused on doing. Uh, radio, I love. I love working for radio and working with the voice. I love to put on voices and create things. I actually, when I was at uh, drama school, created my own sketch show, a radio sketch show, because I really enjoy that medium. And I do like to create things for fun on uh, radio. Here's the thing, though, obviously with Panto in particular, but any theatre in general, but Panto in particular, you thrive on that audience reaction, whereas in (laughs) film, television and radio, it's a very sterile environment, isn't it? The the feedback is only from the people you're working with. There's no audience there, is there? Yep, there's nothing to come back on. So it's almost like you have to act cold. You have to just sort of be in the moment while you're there, do it but yet there's no as you say no response whatsoever it's kind of disconcerting a little bit especially when on stage you're so used to that immediate response that you get but with tv and radio there's nothing you literally just have to trust the moment and play the game that you're playing there and then and uh, let it be what it is with pantomimic with the audience reaction it becomes something much bigger uh, which you just don't get obviously it's a different style altogether you talked about that sketch series that you wrote as a student. Writing's been important for you as well. You've done a fair amount of that over the years, haven't you? Yeah, writing's been uh, really important. Almost immediately when I left drama school, I started writing and started writing comedy. And I've done some stand-up, which is terrifying <laughs> in a good way. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of as soon as the laugh starts to die down, you have to hit them with another joke, you know. So I don't think that stand-up was for me, but I did do quite a bit of it for a while in 2016. Um, to test out material. But what I also have done is written uh, with some girls called Louise McCarthy and Gail Telfer Stevens on The Dolls. So they've been quite big in Glasgow. They uh, had started touring, uh, working men's pubs and clubs. And I saw, I think it was their third ever show in Balloch. And I died. I thought they were absolutely hilarious. Just so, it was so classic Scottish variety. That's what they were doing. And I think it was about a year later we had a discussion and we thought let's try and write a, a play together so we wrote something called the dolls abroad and we workshopped it for months and we got the script really funny and then it toured all over scotland and it really was so successful and we, we i was so proud to see it when it went into the king's theater in glasgow and the laughter i mean obviously the two comedians gail and louise they're so funny but the laughter in the king's theater i have never heard laughter like it it was just wave after wave after wave of laughter and i was just so proud to um, have done that and right now i'm actually writing a, a musical called head night horror which is based completely british farce and it's with my friend ali cleland and it's it's kind of an adult panto Really, that's what it is. It's taking all the skills, everything that I've learned from Panto and putting it to a new kind of script and telling and telling theatre in that way in a sort of a musical style. And we really hope to have that in theatres next year, around about this time next year. I suppose it was inevitable sooner or later that you'd actually write Panto and you've done that as well, haven't you? Yes, I have. I've been writing uh, with Ken Alexander for the Air Gaiety Theatre. Now, the Air Gaiety Theatre was actually the theatre where I actually got to play Dame for the first time professionally. Uh, They had closed in 2009, the Air Gaiety Theatre, and they reopened again in 2012. And 
people at the time were so excited when it opened in 2012 for Cinderella and I was cast as an ugly sister and the feeling, the strength of feeling and the audience, it was the best panto. You know, everybody was so happy that this theatre had opened again because I think people had thought it was a bit of a lost cause and for it to open again, everyone was so happy and the audiences were just so appreciative and their smiling faces, I'll, I'll always remember it. But the year after I got uh, Widow Twanky. Um, so yes, I was dame there from 2012 to 2015, I believe. Mm-hmm. And then I started being dame for Imagine at Kilmarnock uh, thereafter. So writing for the Gaiety, with that's been recent, a relatively new thing since 2019. The first panto that we wrote was Jack and the Beanstalk. And then of course, COVID hit. So since COVID has hit, we did an online panto last year. I've been very lucky, actually, to get the work that I did during the pandemic. Um, We did an online panto, which is still available on YouTube, called The Scunner That Stole Christmas. Um, And that is uh, still available to watch. Great fun. And again, we had intended to do Sleeping Beauty this year, but still we've done a one-act panto called Jamie and the Unicorn. So a completely original pantomime story, but if you go and watch it, I promise you it will be very, very familiar. It feels like Panto. Absolutely fabulous. And interesting, you were talking about the, the gaiety because uh, I think any theatre, if it's working, should be the heart and soul of any community. And it becomes a community hub, much more than a performance venue in many ways. And, you yeah. know, at Christmas time, Panto epitomizes that doesn't it because you see people thronging in to see panto in family mm-hmm. groups you know some of them might never ever go to a theater ever again throughout the year but it really does bring everybody together panto doesn't it it certainly does and this we've actually had these kinds of conversations it's a, it's a false economy i think to shut down a theater because it brings people into the town center where they pay for parking where they might go to a pub for drinks where they'll go out for dinner beforehand and meet their friends and then come into the actual theatre itself. So it brings people into the town. And I sometimes think the decisions that are made to close a theatre, it's really is built based on a false economy. They're not thinking of the bigger picture when they do that. Because as you say, pantomime is such a tradition and it's such a thing. And I'm really quite serious when I say this. I think the world needs it more than ever. We need this, a place that we can all be together and feel like part of something bigger, feel like a community. And for me, Panto does that in abundance you get to have a night out with your friends with your family create some memories and have a shared experience with lots of people from the area who many of whom you don't know but you're all there doing the same thing and it's a nice feeling one of the great things uh, about what you're doing is that you are you're developing in many ways that the young talent the talent of the future you're a teacher you're also an acting coach you direct as well but finding young people and developing their talent must be really fulfilling It really is. It's one of the best things I do. I really enjoy, I I always think back to when I was young and um, a little bit odd, didn't really fit into, you know, didn't really fit into what everyone else was doing. I didn't want to play football. I didn't want to do sports, you know. And the only, my only release was going to the Rothes Hall's Youth Theatre on a Sunday or, or a Tuesday night. And my drama teacher, Sandra Mills, she was so accepting of me and so encouraging of me so to be able to do that now myself with other children to encourage them and to let them express themselves 
I think it's kind of a, for me, it was almost a kind of therapy. <laughs> and so to be able to let the kids express themselves in that way, it's really important that I'm able to give that back. And I really enjoy it. And it's very, and it's funny because you straight away you go, you begin to go, that person's going to have a career, that person's going to have a career, that person's going to have a career. And within, I've been doing it so long now, 10 years later, you go, yep, told you, told, you just know, <laughs> don't you? <laughs> the people that you teach that have got great careers now. So you said how lucky you've been to get work during the pandemic, but it's been a really strange two years. And obviously you didn't perform on stage in Panto last Christmas. <laughs> so what, what, what sort of things have you been able to do? How have you coped? Well, it has. It's been really, I mean, I think we're all, we were all so hard sick with it, but it's nice that it's opening up again. I was lucky in the sense that I got to write this online panto at the Gaiety, the scanner that stole Christmas, and I worked with uh, Phil Norton and we did two pantos at Motherwell Theatre, uh, a Christmas one, which was great fun. It was actually called Lost in Pantoland and it was a choose your own adventure online thing. So you could sort of choose the next scene that the, the characters went to. It was great fun. And I also did an Easter panto with Phil. So I did get quite a lot of, of, of work to do that. But yeah, as you say, it wasn't the same there was no audience there. So it was a bit, as you say, doing it to the camera. And we were doing it as big as you would normally do it to the to the audience. So it felt a bit forced and odd, but it really worked on screen. But yes, I, I've, I've been lucky to do that. I've also been writing and things. But as you say, it has been just such a really difficult year. And it's been so difficult for so many people that I know. And there's, you know, it's so difficult. We can't really do anything to, <laughs> to help. It's been quite, you felt quite helpless at times. Although... Well, some people have been doing great things and great new innovative things have been happening during the pandemic. So how excited are you to get back in the rehearsal room and eventually get back on stage? I am. I think I'll cry. I'm so excited. <laughs> no, I don't think I'll cry, but no, I'm so, so excited and I cannot wait to get up there. It's kind of like we had a development weekend on one of my scripts last weekend, The Hen Night Horror, and it was just so nice to be in the room again. And I thought oh, I'd forgotten what this feels like, you know? And you miss it, you really miss it. And part of me was like, have I, have I forgotten how to do this? Will I be able to go on stage and be a dame again? <laughs> and it's not so much, I haven't forgotten, I miss it. That's what I realised, you know? So I'm so excited. I cannot wait to get back in the room with Eric Potts, who has written and will be directing it. And just with Gary Morrison, who plays the, the silly belly opposite me, I just can't wait. I'm really, really looking forward to it. And just to get out of the house, <laughs> that will be fantastic. Well, I think audiences will be desperate to get back as well. You know, they missed it last year and you have such a strong following in Kilmarnock, don't you? So they'll be absolutely delighted to be back. The atmosphere at that first performance is going to be incredible, isn't it? Yes, and I can't wait. As you say, there's, I've been there so long now that I begin to recognise people in the audience from the year before. And there's certain families who I know come between Christmas and New Year, some that come on Christmas Eve. You know, you be, you, it's just, you know them. They're like your friends without, they've never actually met them before, yeah. but they look up at you and you go, I know that face from last year or the year before. So yeah, I, I think it's going to be absolutely electric. I cannot wait to just get up there and start winding everybody up, stirring the pot. I cannot wait. <laughs> well, listen, we've got three final questions to finish with. I've asked every guest the same three questions. The first is, what is your favourite panto title? Now, I struggled with this one. I'll go with my gut and see what was my favourite title as a child. My favourite title was Jack and the Beanstalk. Huh? I remember seeing the giant when I was a child and being 
both terrified and amazed <laughs> this giant on stage. So I'll say Jack and the Beanstalk is my favourite, but I also quite like Cinderella because I quite like playing an ugly sister sometimes. <laughs> and the thing with Jack and the Beanstalk is it has a great adventure story to start with, doesn't it? Going off to kill the giant. The giant himself is a fantastic spectacle. And of course, you've got a wonderful dame. Yes, there really is. It's such an adventure. And the kids, it's funny when you do Jack and the Beanstalk, the kids are absolutely glued to every element of the story. And I think sometimes in Panto, story can be glossed over in favour of jokes mm. and I think it's really important that you don't do that I think it's really important that and that's why Jack and the Beanstalk I think is always such a successful pantomime because it's got such a strong story and um yeah, the kids love it. Now, the other thing is, and I've spoken to a number of other dames about this, is the fact that dames, ugly sisters and so on are very rarely in those big wow factor scenes where the coach and horses takes off in Cinderella or the giant appears in Jack and the Beanstalk. And many dames, I've done it, I don't know whether you have as well, will very often just sneak into the wings so they can see the audience reaction. Have you done that? Oh, I have. I have. I've, I've managed to see so many of, of you know great things happening, for example, Cinderella going off on her horse and you're in the wings and you're watching the little kids. That's what makes it, uh, you know, just seeing these kids and their, their frying pan eyes They're just and their mouths are wide open and they're just absolutely... I remember when I was a kid going to see Pantomime and I thought the houses were real, you know, the flats. Yeah. I really thought they were real. So to see the kids' reaction, that is what makes it. And that's one of the, the biggest things that I probably get myself in trouble for is these sort of end scenes where maybe the, the prince uh, proposes to Cinderella I'm always looking out into the audience to see the kids' reaction to these things because I just find them so cute. <laughs> so when was it not all right on the night, Fraser? Oh, the amount of times that has gone wrong, you could write a book. Like, <laughs> I think the first ever pantomime that I did at the RSAMD, uh, my wig fell off. And I remember I picked the wig back up and I said, well, if it's good enough for Britney Spears, that's terrible. She'd shaved her head at the time. Um, <laughs> that was like 2007 or something. Uh, and then my beads just randomly broke and all the beads rolled across the floor. And we thought, we better pick these up, boys and girls. We're very health and safety conscious here at the circus because people had to dance on the stage, you know. But one time I think it was all right. And it wasn't all right the night. This is actually, I caused it. Um, it was Jack and the Beanstalk and the the, we were coming down the beanstalk it was the final scene at the bottom of the village and blackout to change the scene lights back up and there was a woman in the front I actually know the family they now they were at the gate but they now come to Kilmarnock to see me and I've never actually met them I need to go and introduce myself one day I'm never out of makeup quick enough for, that's the only problem anyway so they were there and they, she, one of the ladies drinks red wine every time she's always got a wee red wine and a couple of times we've sort of had a back and forth Anyway, this one time she was drinking red wine and I thought, you know, I'll give her a laugh because she always laughs. <laughs> Crazy, you know, always laughs. And I thought, I'll give her a laugh. I'm going to, when I come down this beanstalk, I run up stage towards where she was sitting. But I thought, if I slightly hook up my skirt, <laughs> now she's in the front row, <laughs> no one else would see, but she'll be able to see, you know, nothing will be left to the imagination. I thought, I'll just wind her up. <laughs> So I was wearing dates and pants, so obviously don't worry about it. So anyway, I ran downstage screaming, and just as she took a gulp of red wine and she sprayed it right across the drummer's face. <laughs> that was terrible. <laughs> and I thought, I better not do that wind up the audience anymore. <laughs> I had to turn away. <laughs> yeah, obviously the dame is one of those characters that can step out 
down the apron, come down stage, break the fourth wall and interact with the audience. That's one of the joys of playing Dame, isn't it? Yeah, it's absolutely. I always, that's my favourite thing. When something goes wrong, that's my most favourite thing. So you can break the fourth wall, you can include the audience into a joke and really make them feel like they got something extra for free. You know, I, I love it when something goes wrong. And the audience do too. That's the, the joy of Panto. Well, talking of the joy of Panto, the final question is, why is Panto so special for you, Fraser? I genuinely think, I mean, first of all, if it wasn't for Panto, I don't think I would have a career. I think I would have probably have given it up a long time ago. That's one reason why it's so special. But another reason, I slightly touched on it earlier, is more than ever, I think we need laughter in this world. And... The fact that you can have a show that reaches all age ranges, you know, you've got people there from zero months to, well, the joke is, you know, we've got Margaret Thompson in who is 111 today. Oh, no, sorry, she's ill. (laughs) You know, (laughs) you must have heard that one, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so you have people up to, you know, all the way up to 100, you know, who are there to see the panto, and everyone's laughing at the same, everyone's getting different things from it. But that's why it's so special. It's all for everyone. You get everyone in the same room together to have a shared experience where, as the dame, you really get to interact with people in a way that the other characters don't really get. And that's why it's so special to me. I think it's a really important thing that people get the chance to be in theatre and have a shared experience. And it's being part of people's Christmas traditions like that. It's actually a real privilege. And I'm really thankful that that's my job and I get to do that. Well, I hope you continue to do it for many, many years to come. And I hope you have a fabulous time in Kilmarnock this Christmas. Fraser, thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you, Marilyn. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. Well, that's about it for now. Don't forget to subscribe to the series to catch up with any episodes you've missed so far and because there are many more fabulous guests still to come. Don't miss episode 20 when I'll be talking to the singer who Louis Walsh said reminded him of a young Bette Midler or Barbara Streisand when she hit our television screens on The X Factor. Barbara Bryceland is my guest next time, so I'll see you then. Thank you for listening to the latest edition of Just Imagine, the podcast series from Imagine Theatre. And you can find out more by going to www.imaginetheatre.co.uk.